direct response is sort of like sneaky ask before you give anything and brand marketing, which is kind of what we do. doesn't matter if we're working for like an e-com brand or a SaaS company, or like we're working with a charter bus company now, like so weird, like who would think that they need email, but you give, 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 and then you ask. And the results are always better. Even if you don't make, you know, if you don't hit quota right away, you are building a relationship with that individual customer and they're going to remember you and people buy from the people they like. Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the no BS marketing podcast. I'm Daniel Murray and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f- up. A great video has the same elements of a great email. Today I chatted with Cardinal Mason. He is currently building an email agency and has generated over $20 million for his clients just from email. We chatted about what makes a good email, why it's hard to scale creativity, and a common email problem his clients have. Look forward to hearing the episode. The Chili Pepper team is empowering B2B brands with their state-of-the-art booking platform. Customers missing book calls is a huge waste of time, but Chili Piper is fixing that. Want a demo? Visit chilipiper.com forward slash millennials. What's up? Welcome Cardinal Mason to the pod. How are you doing today, dude? What's up, man? I'm doing great. Everything is safe. It's a beautiful Wednesday. My lawn's getting mowed as we speak. Uh, always great. Great timing for the lawnmower. But I want to get started because you have an interesting journey. Like, how did you even get into this marketing space? So I was in university for a while. I was in political science and I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. After talking to a couple of friends that were smarter than me and they had failed their practice LSATs, I realized that I wasn't exactly uh, ready for that. I just don't think I had the brain power back then. But I always really loved writing. So like with PolySci, I was like, well, what could I do? I could be a journalist, I guess, because I can write all the time and just do research. And that's what I like to do. And then one cold night in December of 2018, I was scrolling Twitter. And somehow, because I was not on like the Twitter that you and I are on now, like money Twitter, or whatever you want to call it. It was like I was on normie Twitter. And um, somehow this guy, Nate Schmidt, came up onto my uh, my Twitter feed and he started talking about marketing and copywriting. And I was like, what is copywriting? Like it was that like the question that like everyone asks, like anytime you tell your parents like, Oh, I'm a copywriter. It's like, Oh, so you do like the legal stuff. Like you copyright stuff. And he's like, no, mom, I write Facebook ads. <laughs> so I went through that whole phase and it, I bought a bunch of courses. I'm just trying to figure out how to make this work because the person that I was like kind of learning from had made it seem like you didn't have to, like really know much about marketing at all. But like, I don't know. I think much like most people, I had some pretty intense imposter syndrome. So I wanted to like make sure that I knew like absolutely everything. And I got so obsessed with it. Just like the psychology behind everything, especially with email. And then, yeah, around COVID, uh, I lost my job. I was serving in a restaurant and I was like, all right, well, this is the time. Time to start moving. <laughs> so I started like building the actual business, like made a website, it felt so dumb. I was like, why am I even doing this? Like, is this even going to work? And then, yeah. And then I caught a, a couple clients and then I ended up getting a job uh, with our friend, Chase Diamond. A few people know that. 
And yeah, and from there, it's just been like learning and iterating and then freelance for all of 2021. And now I have uh, my own agency. That's awesome. I love the story of like, first of the copywriting thing is hilarious because everybody goes, that's a tweet in itself um, yeah. about that. But I think what's cool is that you learned this marketing skills on the fly. You did not go to college like the regular path of people go. You learned it from actually doing. And that's what I suggest a lot of people do anyway is learn by doing. So you're really passionate about copywriting and email and doing this for clients. How do you go about delivering great copywriting or great email to, to your clients? Because access to information has become so easy, like there's no barrier to entry. People don't really see it as like the art form, which like is originally why I fell in love with it. They see it as like, oh, I can make 10K a month, sell, send some emails. I'll just do that. And so like quality is not really an issue to them. But like in terms of the agency, so there's like, there's kind of two sides to it. It's like the me side and the agency side. So for the agency, and this is the advantage that we have right now is that we're like a super tight team. And like, we're very, very conscious about keeping the product really, really good and not scaling too fast and treating it like a startup. Because like with an agency, like it's a great vehicle to do multi eight figures a year. And one day we will get there. But my priority for the company is to scale as steady as we can to make sure that like every single account is taken care of. So it's like kind of like your team in a box. Like we try and brand ourselves as like a remote in-house team where it's like you have everybody that you usually would hire in-house, except we're better and we can do it for more people, which is like a cool mission of mine where it's like, I just want to help people get better marketing. So I think that that's what makes the world go round. But in terms of like what makes a good service delivery is no cookie cutter. And this is going to sound cliche, but like we don't do cookie cutter. And I've never done cookie cutter. Like that's the reason why as a freelancer, it was hard to scale. And as an agency, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to scale as well because everything that we do is fairly custom. Like we pay attention to what the client needs, like who their market is, what they're trying to do, like what their actual goals are. And like, there's no, like the service is not very productized. And like all the real business owners are probably listening to me right now. And they're like, dude, just productize the service. Like just make it a thing. And then you can sell it to everybody. And it's like, we would rather go slow and be very careful about every single word and every single pixel that we design and just make every email like just fire for lack of a better term. Yeah. It's the quality versus quantity type. You'd rather be the best at what you do than, because I've seen cookie cutter agencies, I've seen cookie cutter products, and the problem with cookie cutter is not everybody fits into a box. That's my problem with how the world's designed anyway. The world's designed for the averages because that's scalable, mm -hmm. but I'm 6'3 and I'm not an average, so I get on planes and it's cookie cutter. <laughs> so the not every client is, there could be clients that have the same structure, but not every client is the same. I wonder like what to you makes a good email? What is a good email to you? It's kind of like saying like, what's a good song? This is just the way I think about it. Where it's like, it just has to feel good. 
there's like obviously structures like more templative stuff that we can do for copy like this is what the sop for copy should be and this is what the design should be but there's a lot of stuff like if you're going to be hyper creative you can't really formulate that there's ways to sort of take creativity and make it an sop but that's why like i have to hire thinkers that like can sort of own the accounts that we have and the copywriter is like, okay, this is what I envision for this. And the designer is doing the same thing. And then like, they're just working within the sort of realm of the strategy that me and my lead marketer laid out, but everything is sort of like the world is your oyster. Right. And so to go more service level, it's a combination of being relevant, being relatable, being kind of in the right place at the right time. I can tell you what a bad email is. <laughs> that might be helpful. Um, a bad email is, uh, just something that's kind of lazy. You know what I mean? Like you've seen bad emails before where it's like the copy like was obviously thrown together. Don't wait 20% off now. Like (laughs) time's running out 24 hours. And then like the design is like just one picture and then it's live text in Klaviyo and then a call to action button that was made also in Klaviyo. And it's just like, they send it out and it's like, either you don't know what you're doing or you'll care. And to me, both of those things are wrong, which is why you should go either like hire experts like in-house or go agency side. I think the good point you're making too is the argument of a lot of marketing is just stealing old best practices where that's what they're doing. It's just, that's the Clavio template that the Clavio gives you, but it doesn't mean if everybody has the template, that means you're not going to differentiate yourself because it's not good. It's the same thing that everybody sees from every single brand that goes out there. So yeah, man. The one thing that you're doing that's different is creativity, which I like what you said. Creativity isn't a scalable thing because it takes, it doesn't happen overnight and you can't, you can't teach taste to people. You just can't, you can't teach. Exactly. It. Yeah. And that's why like agencies are hard. Like it's really easy to sort of get to like, if you're trying to do that 10 K month mark and you just want to stick there and you just want to like have like a lifestyle business that feeds you and you kind of do everything yourself, that's fine. But an agency is like, the product is the people that work there. Like there's no code, like there's no software, there's no physical thing that we mail to you. It's my team and their brains. And I'm lucky now that I have a lot of people, we're five now, including myself, that like, they're all smart people. They know marketing. Like I'm not like, it's not freelancers. It's not like upward people, like people care, which is great. Like, I love that about them. And it, like, that's why I'm excited all the time to like get working with them. But yeah, I mean, like you have to be very careful about who you hire internally because like one bad hire can like kind of ruin the product, which is not true for most other businesses. What do you think is your greatest challenge right now with the agency or with the current market or how email is going in the future? What is your current challenges and how are you thinking about that? immediately what I thought of was I need to have more trust in the people that I bring on. And this is just like, because I'm a fairly new entrepreneur, like I feel the need to be involved in everything that my team does and like not really let them take the reins, which like that's not scalable. So that's something that I need to kind of overcome or I need to train better or I need to like create better SOPs and just let them go. And then I can focus on selling. But right now I'm wearing a lot of hats. And so I think that is slowing us down. And it's like, 
if I do this for six more months, like it's going to burn me out. So I need to like basically start now and start to back up a little bit because like, and it's also, it's like kind of ego, but it's also like, cause I just enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like I'll give you an example. The way I have been splitting my day up previous to like about a month ago was I would just do on the business work and I would just try and see like what I can do to grow it and like what I can do to train people differently and all that stuff. And it's like, that's not creative work, but I think I'm a creative person. And so now I start my day every day with write something. So it could be anything. It could be a message to uh, like, it could be sort of like a letter to my team or I could steal one of the emails from my notion board that one of my copywriters is supposed to write and I'll just write it (laughs) or like just something because I need to get that creative wheel moving in order for me to sort of like enjoy the rest of my day. So that's a struggle in terms of where email is going in, in general. I think it's going the same way that content in general is when you think about like what hooks someone's attention on TikTok, like I'm on TikTok. actually, hopefully maybe by the end of this podcast, who knows, I might be at hundred K that's more personal brand stuff. We can talk about that later, but I've had to learn what is a good hook. How do you keep people engaged? How good is your retention? What percentage of people are finishing the video? All that is the same for email. It's just a different medium where it's like the same way that video went from TV commercials or TV in general to Instagram reels and TikTok. written content, marketing messaging with email has to do the same thing where it's not, it doesn't have to be that sort of like legacy commercial style email anymore. It can be content focused. Like you can literally send an email about a meme and tie it somehow into the product and people are going to like it and they're probably going to buy. So I think that's something that people should be focusing more on is like really paying attention to like what is happening in the content ecosphere. Like how can I take that and apply it to my craft? What's a marketing hill you would die on? Okay, here's a good one. This might ruffle some feathers. I am really not a fan of direct response marketing. Like really not. I have had more clients that have come to me saying, my email list is dead. No one listens to me. Nobody buys anymore. The whole list is burnt out. I need your help to revive this thing. I've had more of those than people that say, I need a direct response copywriter to come in, write a 30 email sequence to send over the course of 20 days and get as many sales in this 30 day period or 20 day period as we can. And this is actually a great video. If anyone wants to watch this, Alex Ramosi did this. I promise I had this thought before him. (laughs) I'm not just like ripping all of his content, but like he said something along the lines of, I can't remember it now, but it was like direct response will get you rich, but not wealthy. And just going back to what you said about how you need to sort of give before you can ask direct response is sort of like sneaky ask before you give anything and brand marketing, which is kind of what we do. doesn't matter if we're working for like an e-com brand or a SaaS company, or like we're working with a charter bus company now, like so weird, like who would think that they need email, but you give, 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 and then you ask. And the results are always better. Even if you don't make, you know, if you don't hit quota right away, you are building a relationship with that individual customer and they're going to remember you and people buy from people they like. And direct response is not very likable. I think a lot of times there's an exception. There's a couple of people that do this really well and it does exist on a spectrum. Like you can be more or less direct response, but I do think that the people who are more direct response are at high risk of burning their email list out. And then some poor founder is going to hit my DMs and be like, dude, what do I do? You know what I mean? My theory on that is 
The skill of direct response marketing is an amazing skill to learn because it teaches you how to hook a human in the few seconds that you do. But I don't think it needs to be in every freaking email that you write and every freaking piece of copy ad that you put out there. I think that's the problem is I think so many people have these 12 month windows where they have to make as much money as they want and don't care about, which I, we could talk about next, but like the long-term brand play of like in 10 years, they don't think in 10 years, what will my email list look like if I ask people for 10 years for stuff and never give them anything. They think about what could happen in the next two months to pump up my revenue. And that's all they think about. And that's a lot of marketers do that today. I've been in so many situations where we were down and I used to be in marketing auto automation and be and run emails and for SaaS companies and we'll be down, let's say 20K in revenue. And they're like, let's just spam the email us to get pump up the, the numbers. And it's, I'm like, dude, no, it's going to ruin our brand if we do that. And they don't think about that. They just think about that number that they need to hit that month. What is something, a trend that you're seeing in the market that not many other people are seeing that marketers should jump on right now? Well, I see a trend and I, I would talk about it, but I'm worried that people are going to jump on it. <laughs> so I'll give hints, but like, I don't want to say anything too obvious because I, I do think that, and I've tweeted about this before, we're kind of in this culture of like, today's entrepreneurs aren't really innovating. They're kind of just doing like copycat businesses where it's like, if I have a friend who's doing lead gen for dentists in Ohio and he's killing it, he's making five mil a year. I should just do that and do lead gen for dentists in Toronto and make five mil a year and just steal his playbook. And we're in different markets. So it doesn't even matter. But there's like 8,000 email marketing agencies for e-commerce. There's even more lead gen agencies for name it. You know what I mean? So I will say that SaaS, B2C SaaS, it's ignored by most email marketers. And I think that's a mistake. I've done research. Like I, I work with a lot of SaaS companies now and like they didn't even know that they need email marketing. So that means no one's pitching them because like if you ask any e-commerce brand owner under the sun, they get 59 emails a day. That's like, Hey, I do email marketing for e-commerce. We got 25% of this guy through Clavio. Do you want to talk about how we can do the same for you? Book a call, Calendly link. And it's like, they, they get that all day. But with SA these SaaS guys, like nobody's talking to them when there is huge potential to make their customers way more valuable with email, which is like something that I've been loving lately, which is like you have the sort of like e-commerce email style pop-up where it's like you land on the site, you don't convert, exit intent, email, flow, get them to start the free trial. And then once they start the free trial, try to get them up to the first tier. Like if it's like, it's usually like free trial, 20, 20 bucks a month, 40 bucks a month, 60 bucks a month. Ascend that customer with emails, like try and sell. Um, and then once they're there, the goal is to just extend their LTV as long as you can um, with email. And then when they drop off, like it doesn't really matter because you got way more out of it than you thought you were going to, which makes you more profitable per lead, which means you can just funnel that money back into ads and it's just a machine that feeds itself. And this is something that I've been experimenting with a lot lately. And like, like I said, I don't want to talk too much about like the actual uh, mechanism that we do that with, but it is working. We're seeing that across like a handful of 
accounts that we didn't think it was going to work for, to be honest. But yeah, I think that SaaS companies should be thinking more about how they can make, make leads more valuable with email because that's like, that's a, that's a huge thing right now. I feel like there's a bit of a wave with SaaS, and especially if you're not going to get funded for the next 24 months, like you better find a way to make some money. Yeah, it's also that if CAC costs are going higher, you have to grow the LTV of a customer to make that acquiring a customer worth it. And the problem right now is if you go one-time sale, the CAC doesn't make sense for a lot of channels, especially if your product is low, lower cost. Obviously, if you're high cost selling a $50,000 thing, it's a different story. But oh, yeah. if you're low cost, multiple products, getting someone on a subscription. I mean, I work, I've worked in software SaaS, so that's the whole game is you can acquire someone for a thousand dollars because things going to stay on for two years and that's going to pay itself. Maybe the pay, the payback period is like six months, but a lot right. of people think of that small payback window, which they think that they need. When I was at Chow Now, we quadrupled our funnel conversion rate. How do we do it? The answer is Chili Piper. They're fixing the problem of customer no-shows to book calls, boosting conversion rates, and helping rack up more demos and pipeline. Airbnb, SalesLoft, and Gong are already on board. Isn't it time you were too? Book a free demo at chilipiper.com forward slash millennials. That's chilipiper.com forward slash millennials for free demo. What is like something that if you could go back to starting your agency that you wish you, you wish you knew? I think I would have hired people sooner. So basically the way it went for me was like, I was a one man band for about a month and I had like a freelance designer come on and then I hired an intern, which was cool. And I sort of did sort of like a mentorship thing. Like at this point, everybody who was working for the company, like wanted to start their own agency. And so I was like, yeah, like if you want to freelance or something like that, like I don't care, like whatever. And then like, I probably would have sped that up a little bit. I actually just brought on an account manager like a couple weeks ago, which is a great decision. Like she's the best. Like she just makes all of her clients feel like they're in like the Amex lounge, which is great. Yeah. I think there's still a lot that I don't know. I feel like it would be better. Cause like we're six months in, we started in January and I feel like in a year's time, I'm going to have so many more answers and like, I'd be able to give you like a really good answer to this question. But like right now, honestly, I'm just like figuring it out as I go. Like there's a, there's a lot to know. Like there's a lot of moving pieces. Like, like I said, dude, like starting an agency is not easy. <laughs> like there's a lot to it, but I mean, like I, I still enjoy it. I love my clients. I love my team. Like, yeah, I'm just like, I'm loving learning right now. How's your personal brand help with scaling your agency? Oh, it's helped a lot. I don't think I have one single client right now that has come from outbound. Everybody who is on, who is with us right now has come inbound through Twitter, like message me saying, Hey, like, do you do this? And I'm like, yeah, let's get on the call. And then we like, we work together or it's been like internetwork or it's been referrals from people who are also on Twitter that like are kind of capturing these leads and then sending them over to me. And then we just do like sort of a commission structure. And that has helped a lot. Like it's credibility. Like, I think that I could probably clean up my Twitter a little bit. I have tried to be a little bit more corporate friendly and less, 
I don't know, less sounding like a 23 year old who just discovered that you don't need to work a job two years ago and that he's kind of just doing his own thing. I think I could clean it up. Um, and I think that would actually help. But in terms of like resonating with like most people, I think that the way I tweet and the way I talk on TikTok, I think it feels real. And that's something that I enjoy doing. Like I know people that like they tweet like they are some C-suite at like a, a series A round company. And like, they have to be like that. But in, in real life, they're like super rambunctious and they're like bouncing off the walls and stuff like that. And it's like, well, that's weird. Cause like, I know you and you like, why are you tweeting like that? Like, who are you trying to impress? And so like, I kind of put myself out there the way that I am. And I'm not trying to really be that C-suite, like big wig guy. And so like people know what they're getting into when they work with me. And so that actually also filters out all the people that I would never want to work with that are like really annoying and like not fun to be around. Like everyone, everyone that we work with is a cool person, which is like insane. Like most agencies don't get that. Like you always have those problem, problem children. So I think it's, yeah, it's acted as a big magnet and it's acted as a filter kind of all in one. I love the filter part of it because you being yourself is filtering out people who might think of you as someone they don't want to work with. But if that's the, the attitude they're going to have and you have to be not yourself online because they want you to not be yourself online, then why work with them anyway? So I love that mentality of just be. And I think that's a trend where you're saying too is I think it's just authenticity of so many people for years haven't been their authentic self online and haven't been their authentic self in marketing and brands are not authentic because it's someone behind there that doesn't really know what's going on or doesn't know their audience or there's a lawyers in the, the office telling them that that doesn't fit you. You can get sued if you say that. So you're well, in a good spot. Which, have you seen uh, some of Radio Shack's tweets these days? I love Radio Shack's tweets. <laughs> They changed their name on Twitter to Ratio Shack. <laughs> and they're just like taking it like, cause it started off where it was like Radio Shack was like, remember this other company that like Radio Shack, I can't remember the name, but it was like someone that we put out of business. And then someone else was like, some crypto dude was like, remember Radio Shack? And then Radio Shack quote tweeted them and was like, remember when your mutant NFT profile picture was worth more than $20 or something like that. <laughs> and they just went on a spree of just like roasting all these crypto dudes. And it's like, I love that, dude. I'm not a crypto guy. <laughs> like, I have literally, like, I think probably like three figures in crypto right now because of the crash, and I just don't care. So, like, you love to see it, man. You love to see it. I might be mistaken, but doesn't like Ty Lopez own Radio Shack now? Does he? Yeah, I think he owns the brand, the brand name. I did not know that. That would make a lot of sense. I thought Ty Lopez was a crypto guy. Why is he roasting himself? Because he knows what works on the internet, that dude. Um, hmm. Yeah, he is the owner of it. It's funny. That's uh, and he, he, a lot of people, which I don't like online, is like a lot of people, it's okay to change your mind and be crypto one day because you thought that was, and then you got more information that mm -hmm. supported it and be like, oh shit, I was actually made a mistake. And it was, these coins that I went into are not smart or you were anti-crypto and you found like what's the technology behind it. And you started being an anti-hater of crypto. It's just, 
I don't like the mentality that just because you said something two months ago, you can't change your mind and be like, okay, maybe I was stupid for dying on that sword two months ago, but now, sorry, I was wrong. How down bad are you in the markets right now? Are you terrible, yourself? terrible in every, because I, <laughs> I was heavy in tech stocks, which, because I thought they were great, uh, no, which they were great for years and they still are. They're still great businesses. I didn't go that heavy into crypto because it's new. So I did it, the barbell investing type technique where you put 5% of your wealth in it and just say, if I lose it, I don't give a shit. And that's what I did. Uh, I was just like, here, here's my money. Take it. I don't care. Yeah. But I didn't go too hard. Like 90% of Twitter two months ago were talking about it. And now you don't hear one. I don't hear many peeps about crypto online. So, yeah. Just people crying, man. Yeah. Like Which makes sense. It. Yeah. I like, I've never really been a huge crypto guy. And I like to say it's because I'm a super safe investor and I'm super smart and like I never make any mistakes in the market, but it's honestly just because number one, I didn't care enough to Google it and figure out what most of this stuff was. <laughs> so I just didn't invest in it. And two, like, I don't like putting my, like, dude, have you ever used Binance? No. It sucks. Like, it's the worst. Like for me to move money from a savings account to a checking account takes four seconds. It's the easiest thing in the world. And I know my savings account makes me, 0.0003% a year. I don't really care. What I do care about is having or getting access, being able to access my money whenever I can. And it's like, I honestly, like I said, dude, I'm dumb. I don't know how to get it out. I have, let me check. I have $1,700 in my crypto account right now. And I don't know how to get it out. <laughs> so if anyone wants to tell me how to put it in the Canadian dollars, get it back in my account. That would be great. My theory when investing is I invest in things I know and companies that I know people use. If I see a bunch of people using iPhones around me, maybe Apple is a good investment. Or if I see a bunch of my B2B friends using Asana, maybe Asana is a great investment to do it. It's more like I see a lot of people doing it. That's why I should invest it because it's a. I know people are using it more than or, and I know the company, like I would invest in like biotech cause I have no idea what that is. And I don't know what they're solving and I don't know how they're solving it. And it seems cool, but I don't know what they're doing. So I wouldn't invest in it, which is might be a dumb strategy, but it's worked for me up till the tech stocks went like that. Uh, but yeah, I'm still up on tech you, stocks. I couldn't name you one biotech company. Was that like synthetic marijuana? Like what is... I, I, well, I don't know. We I don't even, even know. It. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one question I have for you is who is some people that you have been inspiring you in the marketing space that you follow, you, you chat with? Who are the, some of those people? I know I'm a structured fanboy. Love Chase Diamond. Love Nick Shackelford. Love David Bozen. Love Jake Schmidt. Those four dudes, uh, partners at, at Structured, absolute geniuses. Like I learned so much from them. Like Nick especially in sort of like the just the sort of like energy and like leadership side and David, especially on the the marketing side and Chase knows I love him. We talk all the time. We're like actually friends now. It's actually sick, but like 
David Bozen, he's not listening to this. He's probably working, but like, I feel like I'm him right now. Like in my agency, I am the David Bozen. What's what he's doing is structured. Like he's sort of like the king of the day to day and like kind of is running like every account, which I don't even know how he does it. And like, there's only been a handful of times because he's so busy. Even when I worked there, there's only been a handful of times where I've really been able to talk to him and like pick his brain and like figure out how he thinks. And so like, to me, he's still a bit of a mystery, which is why he has this like halo effect for me. But I just know what he's capable of. I know how good of a problem solver he is. And I know that he has like, he has a solution for anything regarding email marketing. And it's just like, it's it's insane to watch him go, honestly. And the, he has a way with clients as well. So special shout out to DB. And um, Rob Allen is, is dope too, because I, I know we just kind of, like ragged on direct response but i think if there's anyone that does it really well and sort of tastefully it's rob allen um i went to i actually spoke at it um at the event that he did with amanda and chase as i think last month and he had this whole funnel that he wrote out um i don't know how long it took him it must have taken like a month but like i ended up like being a customer at the event that i was speaking at because the funnel was so good like it was like the I got a free ticket, but I still had to go through. And then I ended up like buying like 60 or $70 worth of stuff that he was just like, that he just had. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm so in. And like it's just because his copy is just good and the structure of the funnel and it's just great. I have so many that, I mean, I, I'm deep in the marketing space. So, and I'll be on Twitter, but Caitlin Borgoyne, I love Amanda Natividad, Adam Ryan, who, work week puts on this podcast and runs where we love the dude and Becca, the two founders are just like some of the most brilliant media people I've ever met. Mark Jung. There's so many Dave Gearhart, which is the man. I love that guy. Chris Walker, Ross Simmons. There's so many good people out there, but I'm more in the B2B space. So a lot of those people are, are B2B. And obviously, special shout out to my fiance, Ari. She's one of the best Shopify executors and marketers I've ever seen in my life. Like, oh, so smart. Oh. Yeah, so smart. Um, yeah. Those are some people. I mean, I could go on forever to name, like, marketers that inspire me every day. But, but yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I want to give you the last minute or two to say where people could find you and how they could find your agency and anything you want to tell people that they, they have already heard already. Yeah, sure. Um, I am at Cardinal Mason on Twitter. I kind of split myself between like talking about email marketing, like agency building, and then like sort of business philosophical and business tactical and like also life stuff. Like I'm a thinker, dude. I, I spend a lot of time thinking. I don't really do much else <laughs> to be honest. Like right now my life is like very low key. Um, and so I just spent a lot of time in here and I think right now that's a good thing. And so I tweet all those thoughts and maybe you'll find them interesting. Don't go to my website. If you want to work for me, we're getting it redone. I don't know when this is going to come out. So like maybe it'll be done by then. But if you see this and you think that you want to do some emails together, Mason at cardinalagency.io, send me an email. We'll hang out. Or you can just DM me on Twitter. Also, um, if you want to see my TikTok shenanigans, I'm also Cardinal Mason on TikTok. I'm having a lot of fun with that right now. <laughs> I love TikTok. So so challenging, but so so fun. Yeah, that's pretty much it, man. Thanks so much. This is great. Yeah, this was awesome. And 100K on TikTok is pretty sick. So that's good. That's awesome. I can't take it. Congrats on that. 
I just, I think I honestly got lucky. I don't know how it happened. Most people that I talk on social media feel that way unless they, they've done it repeatedly. But it's even hard to repeat because repeatability needs to be at scale to actually work. That's why people, a lot of people say a lot of marketers are just figuring out. A lot of entrepreneurs are just figuring it out because they just did it and it worked. And that's how it just worked. And they just can't tell you how it worked because it worked. Now, Twitter, I can say I definitely like, I worked for that. Like I have, I think 24 or something on Twitter, which is nice. Like I feel comfy there. I feel like I like look real, like a real person. I'm happy with 24. That took me a long time. And I worked, I worked a lot for that. Like I had to really execute a strategy, but with TikTok, it was really just like, I posted a couple videos. One got to like 4.5 million or something like that views. And then like every day I just wake up, there's another couple thousand followers. Like it's ridiculous. Like none of it makes any sense. I love it. I love it. Well, this has been great. Thanks for copying on. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.